Now let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we're able to come into your presence. We're thankful that you want to just be with us this morning. So God, we just ask that you would, uh, that we know you're here this morning. We feel your presence. Um, and we just thank you for, for wanting, to be, wanting us to be um, with you and, and part of your families. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Jeremy. I am the former small groups pastor, future student pastor. So I don't know what that makes me right now. A little bit of both, maybe, um, as we're going forward with, with that transition. But I'm really excited about being here this morning. I love the opportunity to get to speak when, when that comes up. Um, and so I'm just looking forward just to sharing a few things that are on my heart with you this morning. So if you would, if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and flip over to John chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 16. But before we do that, I'm going to look back just a little bit to recap where we've been. So in the last six weeks, we've covered the last night of Jesus' life. Uh, so we've taken six weeks to kind of fit all of these things in here. And that's everything from the, the last meal with his disciples to washing their feet, predicting his betrayal, and then this discourse that occurs in the scripture that a lot of theologians call the farewell passage, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's leaving, he'll be coming back, but he's also going to leave again. And so it's all, all of this is designed... All the words that Jesus is using here is designed to give comfort to his disciples, but also prepare them for things that may not be good in the coming future. So that's where we're going to pick up tonight. We're at the end of this, or this tonight, this morning. That's where we're going to pick up this morning is the end of this farewell passage. So we're going to start, like I said, in verse 16. In a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, in a, little while, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? So my first thought on that little passage is why the riddle, right? It seemed, I, I read it a couple of times and I got tongue-tied and everything else talking about a little while here and a little while there. And it was really kind of frustrating to look at to say, All right, what is he, what's the point, right? The disciples, I get it, I understand it. I'm on this side of the crucifixion and the, and the resurrection. So I know what he means by I'm going away for a little while and then I'm coming back and I know what he means by all of this. And it took a minute to put myself in the disciples' shoes, because they're going, what do you mean? Like, if you read it from their perspective, not knowing the, the coming um, interaction, the coming crucifixion, I can see confusion there, right? And so the conclusion I came to was that Jesus posed this question. He made this statement to provoke a conversation with them. He meant for them to engage him, because what happens, if you look back over the last few weeks, Every time Jesus gives a hard truth or he speaks to the disciples, instead of going straight to him and asking him, they ask each other, right? They look around this way. What does you know, he mean by this? If you remember back when he says, one of you will betray me, all of them are talking around the table. Nobody except for John has the courage to say, who's going to betray you? Everybody else. So he, I think he's looking at them and I think he's trying to get them to come to, I have the answers. Look to me here. 
So I think that's the purpose of that first of those first few verses. Let's move on. Verse 20. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the, her joy that a child is born into, into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy. So I think looking at this passage, just kind of examining what Jesus is saying to them, I think what he's saying, I think he's making this differentiation between what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be of the world. You're going to grieve, he tells them, as a disciple of mine, and the world is going to rejoice because they don't know me like you know me. They're going to celebrate things that you wouldn't celebrate. But he also says your, your, your grief or your, your, your anguish is going to turn to joy here. He doesn't say that the world's joy will turn to grief, right? He doesn't make that, that's not a parallel statement there. He doesn't make that same statement back. What he does say is that you're going to be filled with joy, a joy that's not going to leave, an eternal joy that's going to be with you. And I think that what he's looking at here is he wants the disciples to understand you're not like everybody else. You're not like the world. And I think that's true for us as we're looking at this passage. Maybe one of the first takeaways that I see here is that as believers in Jesus, we are different from the world. We're not out of the world, but we're not bound to the world either. And I think as believers and followers of Jesus, one of the things that we have to constantly remind ourselves is that Jesus loves better than we do. And so connecting ourselves to him will keep us always connected to the Father and will help us always love people the way Jesus has called us to love people. So I think the church over the years has kind of missed that a little bit. We've taken on, we've grabbed that verse from, from last week where it says, they'll hate you because you love me, verse. And we've taken that, like David said, as a license to be a jerk to people and, and, and put, our, put our flag in the ground. But I think what Jesus is saying here is it's not a license to hate or to be a jerk. It's an opportunity to love like he loves. And the disciples are also told that you're, you're going to be, people will know you're my disciples by how you love. And so I think both of those things, intention, holding on to truth, but also loving people like Jesus loves people is what he's telling the disciples. You're not of the world. You just have to live in it. And while you're in it, love people the way Jesus loves people. But you can't do that unless you're connected to the Father. Like Russell said, this whole summer we're focusing on abiding and remaining. That passage that we talked about last week, remaining in Jesus or abiding in Jesus. I like the word being connected to Jesus. And that's the entire focus. And so as long as we stay connected and we stay focused on that, then we're going to be able to love well. And we're also going to be able to recognize that we're different from the world. Even if the world tells us one thing, we are following Jesus. Even if we become ridiculed or vilified or ostracized by the world, because we're connected to the Father, then that's, that's Jesus keeping the promise. We just sang that song. Uh, your promises, right, are yes and amen. Well, he promises that as well. It's not always the most pleasant thing to hold on to when he says, I promise you trouble. But that's an equal promise to all the others, and, so, and the answer is yes and amen to that as well. 
He moves on from that with the disciples, talk, giving them this metaphor for what they're about to experience, this metaphor of, of having a baby, that you're going to have these pains, but you're going to forget the pains whenever the baby comes. You're going to forget all about that, and you're just going to live in this place of rejoicing. And I think that has two meanings here. I think the obvious meaning is Jesus is going to be crucified, and you're going to feel the pain and the anguish of that, and then he's going to... He's going to rise, and he's going to be with you, and you're going to feel the joy of being with that. That's the easiest connection for them, right? This is going to hurt. Then everything's going to be just fine because Jesus is here. But this same metaphor is used throughout the Old Testament, referring to the coming age of the Messiah. We look, there's three or four passages in Isaiah that uses the same metaphor. And they're talking about a permanent joy that exists. Right? Not one of these temporary, fleeting, happy emotions, but a permanent joy that's going to exist when we get into the presence of the Lord. So I think Jesus is telling them, yes, you're going to have this joy as well, but I'm also going to provide you with a joy that no one can take. And that's not just heaven, that's in relationship and being connected to the Father through the Holy Spirit. So it's a twofold idea. An immediate joy with seeing Jesus raised from the dead and a permanent joy that comes with being in relationship with the Father. Verse 23. Excuse me, verse 25. Nope. I lost my way. 23. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. This few verses looks back at what we saw in John 14, 20, where Jesus says, I am in the Father, and he says, I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples is you've entered this new relationship. There's this new relationship that exists where you don't have to depend on Jesus to go to the Father for you. But because Jesus lives inside of you, you have a, a direct connection to the Father. Jesus is still interceding on our behalf, but our love for him, our faith for him, our connection to him brings us into closer connection with the Father. And instead of asking Jesus to pray for them, which the disciples would have had to have done, they now enter into the presence of the Father through Jesus and can ask the Father directly to move in these places and to move in these things. And for me, this idea of prayer and praying is not this, David talked about it a few weeks ago, it's not this new formula of prayer, right? It's not that we end all of our prayers in Jesus' name and whatever we, whatever we request in Jesus' name God gives to us. It's that we pray in the nature and the spirit of Jesus, See, a lot of times prayer becomes transactional. I need to, I'm going to pray and I expect to get this back. My boys do it really, really well. 
They pray all the time, dear God, please help my brother be good to me and not hit me and be nice to me and listen to mom and dad. It's a prayer of self-preservation. It is not a prayer in the nature and the spirit of Jesus. It's not sincere. They're just not wanting to get hit in the face anymore. And that's, the, that's their whole motivation behind it. But for us, we come, to the, we come to Jesus and we pray in this spirit and in this nature of Jesus. And we can come into the presence of the Father and be in relationship with him. So I don't want you to hear me diminish the intercessory role of Jesus here. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is that as we believe Jesus love Jesus, and engage in relationship with Jesus, we become closer to the Father, and Jesus carries us to his feet, and we can ask him directly. And that's what it looks like to pray in the spirit and the nature of Jesus. Last few verses, verses 29 through 33. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see then you know all things and you do not even need that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions this makes us believe that you came from god just want to stop there for a second this is not some heavy spiritual thing that i pulled from this um, so jesus at this point has raised lazarus from the dead he's fed 5000 with this little boy's lunch he's walked on water he's healed blind men from birth and this statement is what makes the disciples believe. I mean, it's this. I don't know. Moving on. 31. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So the disciples have arrived at this point of belief, right? All those miracles happened. That didn't convince them. Jesus talking plainly to them. That convinces them that he's coming from the Father, that he comes from God. And then Jesus responds, now you don't. You don't really believe because right after this, Jesus is, Jesus is telling him, look, when the pressure comes, when the trouble comes, you're going to abandon me. You're going to leave me. You're going to run away. I'm going to be, I won't be alone, though, because the Father is with me. And that's something I think we need to, we got to hold on to as we move through this this morning, is that the disciples are completely free to, free to flee away from, from Jesus. They run away. But God's promises, his truth, that he never abandons Jesus. But also he promises us that we're going to have trouble. We looked at this verse, 1633, so we're going to stay for a little while. We looked at this verse. Um, some of you have heard of Rise Up. It's this, it's this ministry in the school system. Uh, a few ladies from the church here put together at West Elementary School where, where my boys go to school. And one Friday a month, we go there, Penny Harrison teaches, and then we break out into small groups. And my group is the fourth and fifth grade small group. Uh, you get about 10 minutes with them, so some serious spiritual formation is happening there. Really, all it is is keeping them from flipping bottles, throwing Cheez-Its and goldfish, or trying to stomp the goldfish to scatter it everywhere. And so it's a lot like hurting cats most of the time. But the week we got to this verse, our last week in Rise Up, this was the, this was the verse for the week. And one of the boys 
in the group, I'm completely off guard at this point, looks at me and says, if Jesus promises that we're going to have trouble, why would we ever be a Christian? I don't know. I wasn't prepared. I was prepared to take Cheez-Its away. I was not prepared for this kid, this 10-year-old, to come to me with this deep spiritual question. And about the time I wrap my head around that statement, another kid says, wait, does that mean if I don't experience trouble that I'm not a Christian? Strike two. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just, we try to unpack it, and I am just insufficiently explaining this entire thing. I'm talking around myself. I'm, and what I really should have said was I don't know. But before I could get that out, one of the other boys in the group says, I think it means that life with Jesus, trouble with Jesus, is better than success without him. <laughs> I invited him to come and preach. I mean, think about that for a minute. A 10-year-old grasping that when most of us as adults, we don't get it. I think about my story, and a lot of y'all have heard this multiple times. But when I was growing up, I went to church all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I did Bible drill. I could flip to a verse. It's like Bible boot camp. I could get there. I could do all that. I was even in the handbell group until they realized I had no talent and kicked me out. I was there all the time. I did the camps. I did, I did youth. I did everything that you were supposed to do. All of it. And then my senior year of high school, the first time that I experienced trouble, and it's significant trouble, I ran. So my senior year in high school, I witnessed my little sister's best friend commit suicide. Just a couple months after that, one of my good friend, friends gets murdered. Now, I grew up in a real small town, so that, that wrecks people. So you know, you know people. Six weeks after that, my grandmother, who was recovering from cancer, went for her last bit of chemotherapy, and they accidentally gave her too much, and she passed away from, from poisoning of the chemotherapy. And then six days after that, my mom's sister died suddenly. And then I graduated. And I had this big plan of, of making a career out of playing baseball, and then that didn't work out, and then I was supposed to play basketball at this other place, and then that didn't work out, and I ended up going somewhere else. And I remember making the verbal statement. I remember saying it out loud, that if this is who God is, I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of it. See, the reason is because I did all the religious things growing up. I checked all the religious boxes, but I wasn't abiding, I wasn't connected to the Father at all. And so it made it easy for the next seven years of my life to run as far away from Jesus as I could run. I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want any part of it. And so I just ran and I pursued everything I could pursue that wasn't Him until He decided I'd had, I had had enough and He pursued me. And I actually surrendered to Him for the first time when I was 25 years old and decided this is what I want. And this connecting point to Jesus is what I want. And I want to remain, I want to abide, and I want to stay connected to him, and I have no idea how to do it. 
So as I was preparing for this this week, usually what I do when I get to speak, I write my sermon Monday through Thursday. I have it all finished. And then on Saturday night, I rewrite it, the whole thing. This week, I wrote it. I got to Saturday night. I was like, all right, I'm ready to rewrite this because I hate this. And I felt like the Lord said, nope. Because this, you know, if nothing else, I'm preaching to myself this morning. So if nobody else gets anything out of this today, I get a ton, of it, ton out of it. Because what I realize, in order to stay connected to the Father, then we have to pray like Jesus prays. We have to pray the way he prays, in his nature and in his spirit. And I've got to be totally honest with you. If you give me an option to read my Bible, to listen to worship music, to fast... Or pray, I'll choose the first three every time. I struggle with prayer. It's hard for me. I had a youth pastor growing up, and he just taught what he taught. He taught what he knew. He said, prayer's not that important because God already knows anyway, so don't worry about it. That was his words to me. And what I realized, that's obviously not true. Because if I want to stay connected to the Father, I have to pray the way Jesus prayed. And the first way that Jesus prayed is with purpose. You look, at the, you look at the Lord's Prayer. His purpose in praying that prayer is connecting with His Father. It's relational. It's not far-off, distant, all-powerful being. It's our Father. It's a child coming to the feet of His dad. And so he prays in the vein of being a child, and that's how we have to pray. Right? We go to our Father. Some of you pray, Dad or Daddy, and that's great. It's, I think it's weird, but it's fine. You do what you got to do. But it's our Father. We're in relationship, and all the other things that you list. If you look at the petitions made throughout the, the rest of that prayer, Jesus is just asking for a father to do what a father does for their child. Give me this day my daily bread. Feed me. Forgive me. Love me. And you do what you want to do. And so our first response, our first way is pray with purpose. And that purpose is to connect relationally. Connect with the Father. Connect with Him in a new way. Not this distant being that I, that I have no capacity to relate to. But with this intimate Father that wants to love us intimately regardless of all the things. The second, thing, second way Jesus prays is intense, with, with intensity. I started praying about that. It's like, I don't even know what that means, right? And then I flip over to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says he prays so intensely that he sweats blood. I used to think that was a supernatural thing. Then I looked it up. It's an actual thing that can happen when you are intense enough and you're in deep anguish and stress. You can sweat blood. And then I had to look at myself and say, I don't remember. Actually, I do remember. It was last August was the last time I prayed where I sweat. And that was just because this room was hot. That's it. I have never been so intensely connected to the Father that I responded physically by sweating or in any other way. And I'm not saying that's the standard. I'm not saying you're not praying if you don't sweat blood. What I'm saying is there's this level of intensity that's required. When we engage with our Father, this focus, when we engage with our Father, that brings us in this intense relationship with Him the same way that Jesus is. 
Because without that, without this intense relationship, without praying with purpose, we're never going to endure the troubles that are coming. A lot of times we just focus on all the good things that come with being a Christian. And he tells us, all of his promises are yes and amen. Troubles, yes and amen. And if we're not connected to the Father, we're never going to endure it. And we're going to run away the same way that I did. And the last thing, the last way Jesus prays is with community. See, Jesus, as he's in the garden, right up before he's sweating blood with prayer, he asks his disciples. First he prays for them, and then he asks them, pray with me. If Jesus requires someone to pray with him, how much more do I? How much more do I need people to pray with me and pray for me? I've got to be, again, completely honest. I will pray with you. Anytime you ask me to, but I'm never, not, not, not never, I don't like people praying for me. Because for me, it makes me, I have to be, I have to be vulnerable. I've got to tell you about all of my junk. I've got to be an open book to let you pray for me. And I'm supposed to have it all together. But if Jesus, perfect son of God, asked his disciples to pray for him, how much more do I have to ask people to pray for me with all of my junk, with all of my mess? And so it's important to pray with community. It's important to gather people around you, to pray with them, to be vulnerable with them, small groups, whatever the, whatever the mechanism is for that is irrelevant. The fact that we have to engage one another in prayer and pray for one another or none of us are going to endure. Like we can bring people to the feet of the Father when we gather together and we pray with them. And they can in the same way bring us to the foot of the cross when they gather and pray for us. Jesus prays with a purpose, he prays with intensity, and he prays with people. And that's, that's I mean, like I said before, if nobody else hears anything today, God spoke to me specifically, and I felt convicted that I had, to, I had to say that this morning because that's where I struggle. And I'd have to guess there's probably somebody in here that struggles in the same way. And so this morning, as we close, we've got a couple minutes left. As we close, we'll pray, for, we'll pray for you about anything. But there are two things specifically I want to pray this morning. One, if you're feeling disconnected, if you're feeling kind of removed from the Father, you're feeling distance between you and Him, then we want to pray for you this morning. What that requires is to not care what people around you are thinking. Right? I'm supposed to have it all together. I, I, I'm, I work at a church, but I have to be vulnerable enough to let you in to say, I, I struggle here. And so it's okay if you struggle here, not just because I do, but Jesus said it's okay. Come to him. Let people pray with you and bring you to his feet this morning. The second group we want to pray for this morning, if you're experiencing trouble. If you're in that place this morning where trouble is, I'm either in the midst of it or it's coming at me or I'm even trying to get over it. It's been in the past. We want to pray for you this morning that you'll be connected to the Father and, and just trust that he's in control of that. So Bo, if you'll come back up, ministry teams, if you'll come up to the corners here to pray for folks, I'm going to say a brief prayer, uh, and then you just respond 
as the Lord leads you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being our father. We thank you for not being distant. We thank you for not being far off. We thank you that you want relationship with us, God. And so we come to you this morning as children seeking a good father, trusting a good father, loving a good father, because you loved us first. So God, I pray this morning that any of us that feel disconnected, that you'll connect us to your heart, that you'll restore our relationship, that you'll mend anything, anything we need to forgive, we need forgiveness from, or we just need to forgive you for things, Lord. Just pray that you'll move on those things now. I pray for anybody who is experiencing trouble. I pray first that, Lord, you'll take that away from them, that you'll remove it. And I pray second that, if not, I pray that you'll give them the strength to endure it. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll minister to us now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.